Welcome to the Savvy Citizen Podcast. I'm Dandrea Bradley. In this episode, we sit down with a local parent who experienced the loss of a child as a result of unsafe sleep. She shares with us the toll this experience has taken on her family and what she's learned so that this doesn't happen to anyone else. Stay tuned for this very important and life-saving conversation. Before we begin, I want our audience to know that the subject matter in this episode is sensitive in nature and may not be appropriate for our younger listeners. Joining me today is Melanie Lorenz from the Gaston County Department of Health and Human Services and our special guest, who we will only refer to as Jackie, uh, who lives here in Gaston County. So thank you both so much for being here. Uh, We really appreciate it. And to start us off, Melanie, I want to come to you. Um, What exactly is, is unsafe sleep? Hey, uh, thank you for having us, Andrea. We appreciate this opportunity to um, talk with the citizens of Gaston County about an issue uh, we've identified as being um, one of significant importance. Unsafe sleep, um, when we discuss it, as we're discussing it today, refers to infants, so a baby under the age of a year, who is placed to sleep either at night or uh, for nap in a space that is not safe, in a space that um, increases the likelihood of accidental suffocation. For example, um, placing a baby in the bed to sleep with you, um, sleeping with a baby on a sofa or in a soft chair, um, or placing a baby in in a crib or a pack and play with lots of blankets um, or stuffed animals or other items that are um, suffocation hazards. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because when I had my daughter, you know, back in the day, because she is now 23, she, um, there was different guidance. You know, I had her in the bed with me and most of the time it was because I was exhausted and I was a breastfeeding mom, and it was just easier to put her in the bed with me. And, you know, we had blankets in the cribs. We had bumpers around the cribs, and now you're, now there's new guidance that says that's a no-no. So where does, where does the guidance come from? Yeah, I had uh, bumpers around the crib with my babies as well. Um, interestingly, there was recently federal legislation passed that bans crib bumpers, uh, and they're no longer necessary because the the um, the width of the crib slats has been modified so that that infants can no longer get their limbs or their head uh, stuck between them. So the guidance comes from the American Academy of Pediatrics, and of course their work is largely driven by um, data. Their recommendations are evidence based. They have a task force, and this task force reviews the investigations of all infant sleep-related deaths, and then they analyze that data to understand what led to the deaths, what physical hazard existed in that infant's sleep space. And then they use that research to inform their recommendations to us for how to reduce the risk of our babies dying when they're asleep. Gotcha. So that's where the guidelines come from. So now in Gaston County, how many babies have have 
you know, passed away? How many have we lost as a result of unsafe sleep? Um, actually, our numbers in Gaston County are disproportionately higher than other counties in the state. And North Carolina is actually, uh, has sustained disproportionately higher numbers than other states across the country for a few years now. In 2019, we had seven babies who died uh, as the result of unsafe sleep. In 2020, there were eight. And then in 2021, that number really jumped up. Um, We had at at least 12, potentially 14 babies who died in 2021 due to unsafe sleep. Um, Some of the investigations are, are, are complicated by other factors, but we know definitively there were 12. Um, and probably 14. In 2022, um, we we did a lot of work in when we identified this issue. We did a lot of work in 2022 to try to raise public awareness and make sure the the professionals and others in the community who were counseling parents and advising parents and mm-hmm. caretakers. Uh, they knew, they were knowledgeable, they knew about the risk, they knew about the modified guidance, um, the new American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations for sleep for babies. Um, so it, it's a little too early to say definitively what the 2022 numbers were, but we are confident we saw a pretty significant decrease in 2022. Um, the 2021 number is what really elevated this issue to the top of the priority list Mm -hmm. for our community child protection team and um, really put us in a position to figure out how we could um, do better, how we could better advise the community and and, um, allow parents and caretakers to make better informed decisions. Absolutely. And Jackie, I want to bring you into this conversation because you know firsthand um, what it's like to experience a loss like this. So I want you to just share with us um, your experience, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, if you don't mind, just for, for our listeners, because this is, it, it's, it's an issue. It's a serious conversation, and it's a sensitive conversation, and we want to be mindful of that. So if you don't mind just sharing with us. Take your time. Okay, so I remember the day that I picked him up from the hospital, Mm -hmm. and I was extremely nervous and excited at the same time because it had been a while since I had a baby in our home. I remember the nurses, they kept me at the hospital for around three hours while we bonded and watched videos, and I can remember at least one of those videos was on safe sleep. Mm-hmm. I had never known anyone who had lost a baby before except to a miscarriage. So losing a baby after coming home from the hospital to death never crossed my mind. Of course, I was still cautious like any new parent would be. I had worries and I had concerns and I tried my I tried to be as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. He didn't like to be in the crib. He didn't like to be anywhere by himself. He always wanted to be comforted. The nurses, they held him a lot while he was in the hospital, while they did their paperwork, because he was in the hospital for quite a few weeks after. Okay. Six weeks, because he was a preemie. And do you think maybe because he was held and comforted so much, that might be why he didn't like sleeping in his crib? Because he was used to that that human-to-human 
you I know, think, connection. I think so, but I also think that it's just a natural, I think it's probably natural for most babies because they have been inside of our womb, mm-hmm. and so they're used to that safe spot. But I also believe that them holding him made him, I guess, more comfortable with it. Okay. But I think that even if it wasn't for that, that babies still, you know, because they come out of our womb, they're used to being close to us. Right. That makes sense. So, yeah, he always wanted to be comforted. So I remember him sleeping in my room in the crib. It was right beside my bed. He slept alone. I made sure no covers. I made sure he was in his, on his back, but he would continuously wake up. I didn't let him sleep with the cover, but I always made sure to have a footy onesie on him at night to keep him warm. warm. Mm-hmm. Most of the time he slept in a bassinet beside my bed. It was the only way he would sleep. I would keep him, him in the bassinet beside me, and I would put my hand on his leg or his little feet until he fell asleep. He didn't like the bassinet much either, but I could at least comfort him at night with my hand, and he would usually fall back to sleep. Those bassinets have recently been recalled due to infant deaths. That was another thing that would never cross my mind because they were sold in every store. So within the first week, we got him a swing. Mm -hmm. He absolutely hated the swing, too. I remember posting a video of him crying in the swing on social media just to show how cute he was and how much he hated the swing. And people were saying things in the comments to me like, pick that baby up, don't let him cry. I never let him cry longer than a few minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, it's okay to let them cry from time to time. Right, absolutely. And don't let anyone make you feel bad about that. He knew that he was loved. We were already talking about getting a bigger house so that he could have his own room. And when you say we, you're talking about you and your husband? Yes, me and my husband. Okay. Now, do you have any other children? Two. Two other children. And then you had the little one, the baby. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And what was his name, if you don't mind my asking, if you don't mind sharing? His name was Sebastian. It's a good name. And so Sebastian was, he didn't like the bassinet, didn't like the crib, didn't like the swing. He just wanted to be close to you. Yeah. Okay. And feel free to take your time. And I'm glad you you have, you know, your notes and your script because it's hard to talk about loss. And I, I can't even imagine how that's feeling. So please feel free to take your time. Yeah, he just wanted to be close. So I remember it was a Friday. And my husband was leaving to get everyone food. And I went to the bedroom with him to lay him down because it was getting late. I remember laying him in his bassinet. And then I remember him waking up. He would do that several times, but at some point, I laid him beside me. I did not plan to fall asleep. 
I also thought that my husband would come in the bedroom after he picked the food up to check on us because he always did that. He always checked on us. Mm-hmm. And the same if he had him, I would go and check on them repeatedly through the night. It's just something that we did. I remember waking up maybe a couple of hours later and my bedroom light was off. Mm-hmm. I was laying on my back. And I reached over to feel for him, and I just knew something was off. I remember just jumping up, picking him up very quickly. He didn't move or make a sound. He just felt lifeless. I started screaming as I ran to turn the light on. I laid him directly on the floor as my husband came running through the bedroom door because he heard my screams, and I started to do CPR. I've had several CPR classes in the past, but my mind just went blank. I remember feeling his hands and his feet, and they were still warm. His color was normal. I called 911 to tell them that my baby was not breathing, and I asked them how to do CPR. I started it right away. I made sure his airways was cleared and I heard the last gasp of air released from his lungs. I didn't realize that would be the last breath I would hear because he was still warm and his color was normal. I really thought that I could revive him. I remember my husband praying for him, but I couldn't hear a word he said. The only thing I can remember is just taking my fingers and pressing into his chest over and over again. Two breaths repeat. And that's what repeated in my mind for months after the accident. The police, they showed up first, and one of them finally took over the chest compressions. And they let me continue to give the two breaths. And it seemed like forever until the ambulance came but I'm sure it was just a matter of minutes. The EMTs came in, and they picked him up, and they ran him out to the ambulance. That's where they continued to work on him for what seemed like at least 30 minutes to an hour. I remember trying to get close to see what was going on, but they would not let me anywhere close to the ambulance or to him. I remember the ambulance leaving with him, after what seemed like forever, but they didn't let me go. I just wanted to be close to him. I wanted to be there for him because he was my baby and he needed me. But I was in shock and I didn't even know how to express it. It felt like a couple of hours before the police put me and my husband into separate cars to question us. It was almost directly afterwards that they told us he didn't make it. We were then allowed to drive to the hospital where we sat in a waiting room until they called us back to see him one final time. My husband walked back to see him, but it hit my chest like a ton of bricks and I could not bear to see him like that again. My chest had never felt that way before. I've had panic attacks, I've had anxiety attacks, but never have I ever experienced something like that. I remember being checked into the hospital for probably about 48 hours. 
My heart rate was high. My blood pressure was high. The enzymes in my heart was high. And they diagnosed me with broken heart syndrome. I didn't eat for three days. My husband did not eat for 10 days. Everything was just a blur. They released me from the hospital. And I remember not wanting to go home, but knowing that I had to. All of his stuff was still in the house. It was still in the exact same place as it was days before, except now he wasn't here. He wasn't there. The depression, PTSD, panic attacks, and grief attacks were almost too much to handle. I felt extremely guilty. It didn't feel like reality. And the first year after that, it almost destroyed my family. So let me ask you this. How have your other children handled this loss? Because I remember, you know, I only have a brother, but I remember having baby cousins and being extremely close to them. And and I don't know what it's like to have a baby sibling. So how, how did they feel? Um, what was their experience, if you can talk about that? My daughter just recently in the last few months started opening up about grief. And they never really expressed a lot. They just kind of, I guess, closed up to themselves a little. And more than anything, it's just made them cautious of life and death. Mm-hmm. And it's just affected them where they worry a little more. And... My daughter, she talks about death a lot. Um, She's always talking about people dying. Mm -hmm. She just don't know how to really express herself because she's so young. Wow. And I can't even imagine. Now, how about your your husband? You said that this loss almost destroyed your family. Um, What was that experience like? Um, How did you handle the grief? Did you come closer together, you know, for some reason, whenever people experience grief, the first thing we want to do is grieve alone, and they tell us that's the complete opposite of what we should do, so what was that grieving period like for you and your husband? We grieved alone, not with each other. He's quiet. Mm -hmm. He just became depressed and just worked all the time, and he wasn't there. Because that's how he coped, is just working. And I coped by sleeping, by just trying to find things to take my pain away, by um, being distant from everyone. I lost myself a lot the first six months to a year. Um, I feel like my kids, they probably lost the mom that they once knew. My husband, I feel like he lost the wife he married. I had to forgive myself. I blamed myself, and my husband blamed himself. Mm -hmm. And so we struggled internally. It was an internal struggle that was just almost too hard to talk about. He wanted to hang his pictures up, and I wanted to take them down. And I wanted to get rid of everything, and he wanted to keep it. But we still do have his stuff that we stored besides the stuff we donated. 
to a special place in Gastonia. But, um, so I just, I began, I finally, I would wake up at night and I would scream bloody murder because I thought that my daughter, I thought, I, every night I woke up, I thought she was dead. It's part of PTSD. And I would just start screaming. And my husband just got to the point where he said, you have to stop. Because he would also think she was dead. And it became an every night thing where I'd wake everybody up in the house screaming. And so I began to take therapy Mm -hmm. once a week. It's been about, my memory isn't the greatest because I guess of the trauma It's been about eight months to a year now that I've been in therapy. I'm still healing every day, but she says I came a long way. There is help for the survivors. I do want to throw that out there. My kids, they have gotten their mom back. And the only reason I wanted to share this is to try to make people understand what the days, the weeks, the months, even the years after something like this can look and feel like. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just the fact that you're here and you're talking about it, like that just shows your strength and your resilience and how far you've come. Because so many people are probably experiencing what what you've experienced, and they need to know that there is hope. And Melanie, I want to bring you back into this conversation how many of these stories have you heard, and do they sound alike? We review the death of every child in Gaston County, actually, uh, which, of course, includes every child who dies uh, this way, who dies an infant sleep-related death. So for every child uh, who dies in, in Gaston County, we have heard the story, we've, we've read the story. Um, and this story is unique to this family. However, it's it's similar in a lot of ways mm-hmm. to the loss other families in Gaston County have experienced. Uh, we're incredibly grateful uh, to Jackie for being here because what we, what we often hear from parents is they never thought it would happen to them. They didn't think it could happen to them. So we, we do think it's important for, uh, for Gaston County residents to hear from one of our own, from one of our neighbors who never thought this could happen to them and who experienced this tremendous loss. Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, one piece of the the story, of of Jackie's story, that is somewhat um, unique to to a group of parents is she was one of those parents who said, I'm never putting my baby in bed with me. I know it's not safe, so I'm not going to do it. But parenting's hard, and it's exhausting. And in the middle of the night, after the second or third time your baby wakes up and needs comfort um, or needs to be fed or needs their their diaper changed, our ability to make those decisions is compromised by pure exhaustion and the knowledge that we need to get some sleep, that we need to be able to provide care. Uh, There was actually some recent research released by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Uh, They're terming this second sleep. And 
for those of us who uh, are parents or caretakers or have helped take care of a baby, we understand it completely. We make one decision. We we take one action when our babies go to sleep. Mm -hmm. But then exhaustion in the middle of the night can lead us to take to make another decision. So we talk a lot to parents about um, how to stay awake in the middle of the night uh, when you're up or even in the middle of the day when you're when you're tired. Parenting's exhausting yes. pretty much around the clock. So having a support person is really important. Having someone who um, can be there to take the baby from you when the baby finishes eating, to put the baby back in their safe um, their safe sleep space, um, setting an alarm, staying connected with folks online, um, having friends you call who you can talk to who are there to be able to, to um, keep you awake. It, it happens um, of those deaths in, in 2021 of the what we believe were 14, at least three of those and probably more if we had more information to go on, at least three of those were this type of situation where the parent made a decision at the onset of sleep for their baby to sleep in a safe space. Mm -hmm. But then at some point in the middle of the night, the baby ended up in bed with them. Um, so I guess to go back to your original question, Dandria, uh, the, the, every story is unique to every family, which is why it's, it's so important for us to understand mm -hmm. what happened, what right. led up to that death. So we can, we can tell other parents, we can um, help educate other parents so they can make better decisions. Um, we've met with a lot of parents in the community, and what we have heard from them repeatedly is uh, that they didn't know that it was as big of an issue as it is, because of course this is not something that, that gets um, a, a lot of news coverage. Right. Um, so they didn't know it was as significant an issue as it is, and we have heard consistently they need to know that, of course, the decision about what to do and, and how to, to parent your, your child is your own, but they want the information. Mm -hmm. They want to know what the risk factors are so they can make better informed decisions about what to do so they can put the right safety strategies in place if that's having a conversation with their co-parent for example hey when I get up in the, the middle of the night to feed the baby I want you to get up with me mm -hmm. so if I fall asleep you can put them back in, in the bed, bed. Mm -hmm. yeah but having a plan that's what's really important is having that conversation and having a plan and that's what we hear from parents is let us know so we can decide what we need to do and we can make a plan absolutely and Jackie, I'm sure you were a lot like me. You know, you, you were told, well, you know, I did this with you and your grandmother did this with me. You know, everybody has parenting advice. And me personally, you know, my mom, when I was a baby, I slept in, you know, the bed with her if she was exhausted. I did that with my daughter. Um with your other two children, were they ever in bed with you? Sometimes. Mm -hmm. So we've, we, we've all done it. We've all heard that, oh, it's okay, it brings you closer together. But so, Jackie, share with our listeners, um, you know, what you've learned from this experience. Because I know you wanted to join us on the podcast because you want to make a difference. 
And I think your testimony will do just that. So just speak to our listener um, just from the heart. What do you want them to know more than anything? I never thought that this could happen to me. Mm-hmm. I never in my whole entire life would imagine that this would happen to me. But the hard reality is that it did. It did, and I thought I was taking every precaution, and it did happen to me. And I don't want it to happen to anyone else. So I would just say take extra precautions. It could save your baby's life, but it could also save your whole entire family. When you lose a loved one, your whole entire family grieves and suffers. It's okay to love on your children. They need to be touched, held, loved, but please just never fall asleep with them. Always stay alert. Always have a support person to check on you and the baby. Always have a plan in place. And I've learned a lot since then. Don't let your babies fall asleep without keeping a close eye on them when they're in car seats, when they're in swings, when they're in an unsafe bassinet that you think's okay. It's like a rocker that sits up. It can, it can restrict their airways. And never put covers or pillows in the in the crib. And I know that probably almost every parent puts the child in the bed. And I thought that my bed was was safe, but it wasn't. I would there's days I would lay him on just lay him on it when when I was awake, of course. Mm-hmm. And I would not even recommend to do that unless you were there watching it every second. Absolutely. Because of it could happen in the middle of the day or at night. And more than anything, I've learned that when someone is going through grief, and I really want to share it, is there is hope. There is hope. Because there was times I didn't think I was going to make it through, and every day is a healing process. But there's hope. And me personally, my strength came from my therapist. I found one that worked for me. And it came from the Lord. Absolutely. And me and my family are stronger now. And we just, we have learned to love each other every day, never take one second for granted. That's good. That's very good. So, Melanie, what is the guidance? You've mentioned in some conversations that we've had before um, concerning safe sleep about the ABCs. Um, what are, what are the ABCs for for safe sleep? Um, the ABCs for safe sleep are uh, uh, your baby should always sleep alone on their back and in a crib or a pack and play, and for every sleep we kind of add the E on to the end um, because what we know is that babies sleep uh, not only at night they sleep multiple times during the day and where they sleep during the day those sleep spaces need to be need to be safe as well. Absolutely. Well, Melanie, Jackie, thank you both so much for being here with us. Um, Jackie, I especially want to thank you for for your vulnerability, your transparency, and for just sharing your story with us because it's so important that families, you know, not just in Gaston County, but families everywhere, you know, understand what it takes to, to keep our children safe. And I just want to thank you for for just being someone's hero today. So thank you so much. Thank you to both of you. 
And if I can add, Dandria, I would like for the listeners to know there are resources and there's information available out there and, and give them um, a few of those. Cribs for Kids. Dot org is a fantastic organization. We partner with them in Gaston County. Their website has um, some trainings that individuals can can participate in. They're, they have a Safe Sleep Ambassador training that uh, walks them through the all of the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations for infant safe sleep. Um, they also have several resources. Gaston County has a dedicated Safe Sleep webpage with Um, with some information for parents and caretakers. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the American Academy of Pediatrics is an excellent source of information. You can find all the recommendations on their website. And we do training as well. Our community child protection team has prioritized this issue um, because it is an issue of priority, a critical issue for our community. So we train community groups, um, groups of parents, groups of professionals, um, and including caretakers, grandparents, aunts, uncles, those who provide guidance, um, those who might need information about the updated recommendations and what the what the new research is showing us. Excellent. Great information, great resources. Well, thank you both again so much for being here. The Savvy Citizen Podcast is a production of the Gaston County Communications Office. It is hosted by Janet Schaefer and Adam Gobb, and its senior field correspondent is Elizabeth McGee. Editor and producer is Joshua Braswell. Next week on the podcast, we've got Dandrea Bradley and Christine Engel to talk all about Gaston Max, a multicultural arts experience coming to Gastonia in March. Interested? Tune in next week. Want to know what's coming up in the month ahead? Check out our Looking Ahead videos, produced each month in both English and in Spanish. We feature key dates, events you'll want to mark your calendars for, and so much more. Watch them on demand on the Gaston County Government YouTube page. Find them in the Ion Gaston playlist. If you're a fan of country music, you're not going to want to miss this. The Gaston County Public Library is hosting free showings of each of the eight episodes of the Ken Burns documentary series, Country Music, each Tuesday in February and March. The free showings are at 6 p.m. in the Carol Reinhardt Auditorium.